You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to your favorite day of the week. I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined, as always, by Adam Matas. Adam, we actually have some NBA news to talk about today. This is the first time in four weeks that news has dropped on our day. I can't wait. Yeah. Usually it's like one piece of news per week. It yeah. came for us. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Jalen Green and everybody involved with this NBA developmental program for, for helping out Adam and I specifically. I'm sure that's what they were thinking. Well, to be honest with you, I find this really interesting. I'm, I'm excited to get into this. This is this, Even on a busy news week, this would have been a really interesting topic. Yeah, I, I think it leads most NBA Day shows. Yeah, <laughs> this has this has that kind of potential. So we're going to talk about that in the first segment. Second segment, we're going to go back into our all-time divisional teams uh, bracket. Uh, Adam, <laughs> we gave Adam Central because <laughs> I've had the better divisions the last two times we've done this exercise. So Adam has probably the best team. Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> that that we'll that we'll be talking about uh, maybe throughout this entire exercise. Avery uh, agrees with with my uh, analysis of of the teams here, and then I will be taking the Atlantic Division, uh, making this even more painful that I have to compliment Celtics. So, <laughs> just just an all around beautiful day for for me. Let's let's get into this Jalen Green thing. Uh, the news via Jonathan uh, Givony Gavoni. Gavoni and Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, quote, California high school star Jalen Green, the number one prospect in the 2020 ESPN 100, is making the leap to a reshaped NBA professional pathway program, a G League initiative that sources say will pay elite process prospects $500,000 or more uh, and provide a one-year development program outside of the minor league's traditional team structure. Yeah. This has the potential to completely upend the way that prospects make their way to the NBA. Absolutely. And, and we're actually, if you look at it, including this year, of course, you had uh, a, a handful of lottery, uh, projected lottery picks go down to the NBL in Australia. Mm-hmm. So even this year, you started to see players go around the NCAA, but nobody that had had the star power here uh, of Jalen Green because this is, um, you know, he's a guy that him or Cade Cunningham, my, my, my guy at this moment, I know it's early, is Cade Cunningham, but um, you're looking at a guy who's either one or two projected in most mock drafts at this moment going around the NCAA, but also, Anthony, it's coming because of sort of a perfect storm. I wonder yeah. if this is a watershed moment for the way prospects enter the NBA now um, because – we might not have a college season, and if we do, it might not look like a typical college season. And I wonder if that that draw um, going away is what's started to force guys to look at other options. Well, I think I think there are two major factors here. Uh, one from the organizational side on the NBA, you know, for teams, this is the benef- the benefit that that is here for teams, and then also obviously for the players. The players obviously the previous max kind of money that they were going to make in this uh, program was around $125,000 for that one year. Yeah. And, you know, can you compare that to what guys were making in, in, in Australia? And it was just, it just made more sense for them to go make the additional 350, $375,000 extra down there. And then it wasn't wasn't just the money though, Anthony, it was also all all the other things that come into play with it because, you know, um, who wants to go to Sioux Falls and be competing with guys yeah. who maybe at 
at 18 weren't as good of prospects as you, but now 24, 25, they've had right. that benefit. And now you're competing against those guys who are also trying to get in. So the NBA and Adam Silver in particular, I think saw some of the players like LaMelo Ball, high profile players, not go to college, but not pick the G League and go down to Australia. And I think he said, okay, what is it that they, why did they pick us over or them over us? And what can we do to make it better? So the money, and then also, these players aren't going to be just going to Sioux Falls or whatever right. and just thrown into, you know, completely out of their control. It's a new process, a new program in place that allow them to sort of train with their development in mind, not yeah. the teams that they're on or, or any of this, but with their development. Well, and, and I believe the program is located in Los Angeles. So like on a personal level, I'm really happy that we're already ingratiating these guys to make their way <laughs> to LA as soon as humanly possible. Um, the other thing too, you know, the other thing pointed out in this article that from uh, an organizational standpoint for these for these teams, they had to send scouts halfway around the world to well, go yeah. check out these guys. And for NBA teams, when you make it make sense for both the player and the team, that's how you get, you know, change to be made. And I thought the fact that teams were saying, no, I, we don't want to send scouts all the way out to Australia to check out top level pros this isn't like a mid-tier prospect right like these guys are these guys are going to be taken high in the lottery and you know the fact that nba teams are going to have to send people all the way to australia to check them out on a regular basis that just didn't make very much sense so now nba teams will be able to keep an eye on them uh, on a very close level here in here in the states while they get yeah. money, while they get endorsements and all that. And, and you know, if I'm the NCAA, I, I, I still think they're going to be fine because I, other, other than like the Zions of the world, I don't know if high-level NBA prospects necessarily move the meter as much as like March Madness might. You know, March well, Madness, I, I think it exists outside of – uh, you know, high level prospects. I think that won't be hurt as much as, as maybe we think, but at the end of the day, if you're losing out on a bunch of talent, that's going to hurt. I see. I I'm going to disagree with you on that point. I think it is interesting. Look, I don't think it's going to be okay. This is, it's a death knell. Now the NCAA dies, but I do wonder if it's the start of that decline because you're right that March madness, the event itself and the tradition of the schools, that's the draw, but there's also something to knowing that the best amateurs are there. Once you start taking away a handful, say it's just one this year, maybe, and by the way, maybe a couple more will, will, will join here in the coming weeks, especially um, I, I think there was three or four top 15 projected picks that all are still undecided. So they, Jalen Green might not be the only guy. But um, once you start having a March Madness that you say, okay, not only is this not professionals, but it's not even the best 18, 19-year-olds. If that process happens, then I think some of the shine off of March Madness will go away. It's never going to fully go away because, as you mentioned, people want to watch their alma mater. They want to watch the upsets. Gambling. But, and gambling. But I do wonder if it does take away a little bit of the shine when you just say, yeah, but the 10 best 18-year-olds are all in this other league. Um, that's the one I'm going to watch. Or I'm just, I've just lost a little bit of steam. I wonder. I wonder if the NCAA is actually going to step step in here at some point and try to try to muddy the waters uh, a little bit here to make it a little bit they more do? complicated, huh? What could they do? I have no idea. But it's the NCAA, man. They're the worst. <laughs> they're going to find. They're going to find some way to screw this up. Well, see, this I, is. I also, I, I, oh, go ahead. Well, I also was going to say that from the NBA standpoint, I think they deserve a ton of credit, not just for the organization of of the of the program here, but for 
ever, they have had essentially a uh, minor league system that was inherent to their existence. Right. And the fact that they put this amount of work in and this type of commitment in this kind of situation, right, where they're bleeding money, the fact that they did all of this to 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 offer a, a, a decent alternative to the players to make it make sense for teams. Like they deserve a ton of credit for figuring this out in the way that they did, given what they are potentially kind of giving up in, in this free minor league system that the NCAA has been. Yeah. And I've got to be honest, I'm excited for that. The NBA figured this out, or at least appears to have figured it out. And I'm rooting for it. One of the big question marks now becomes Jalen green is probably going to be the most scouted, prospect so if you know mm-hmm. performs well that's going to bode really well for him and he's sort of a a can't miss guy he could fall from you know number one or number two to number five or six but he's he's it, it's very unlikely he'd fall behind below that but it's curious I'm curious to see if he becomes you know his stock goes up a little because everybody gets a closer look at him or if it goes down because he becomes so, so heavily criticized that'll be one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in but just, just the last thing mm-hmm. I want to say about this though Anthony is um you know, I'm glad. I, I I'm glad that the I, I would love for this to be a permanent solution for the NBA because yeah. as much as I love, um, you know, player freedom, and I, I think it's weird to force players to go be exploited by the NCAA and not allow them in at 18 years old. I actually like the rule from a quality of basketball standpoint. 18 is too young. The NBA's gotten too good. And mm-hmm. there's just so much talent that sending 18-year-olds in and, and forcing teams to say, hey, your hopes all rise on this kid who's really young and probably not fully developed, I'm all for delaying that process. I just hate the idea of forcing players to go to the NCAA. So if you sort of solve both problems, you keep these young kids out of the M- actual NBA for an extra year while giving them an alternative that, that pays them and develops mm-hmm. them, to me that's a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think – you know, other than the hardcore NCAA fans who are going to be losing out on watching talent play for their alma maters, right? Neither you or I went to school, you know, hardcore yeah. basketball schools. So, you know, I, I think we're our, our opinions on this, our analysis on this is a little skewed because we don't particularly care sure. about a, a, a team, right? Absolutely. But, you know, from where we're sitting, this is the kind of thing that everybody should probably be be pulling for. this is it's just options and and you know if you give people options that 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 gives them the opportunity to find the best path path for them and for a lot of these guys making 500k plus endorsement money and all that while not having to care about history 101 (laughs) right like getting to getting to focus on developing yourself as a basketball player and eventually as a professional that's that I, I really like that they have programs where where uh, current NBA players are going to be stepping into mentor. Uh, you're going to get paid. You know, there's a bonus system for uh, participating in community events. There's a bo- bonus system in there in place to for for attending classes that allow you that prepare you as a professional. Like this, they really thought this through yeah. on every level, and 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 it's really good to see that that they aren't half-assing it. And because they aren't half-assing it, I think this has a real chance of working long-term. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't want to say they've answered every question because there's going to be a lot of questions going forward about, you know, that'll determine whether I this works. I think they be a could lot have answered right now, though, right? Um, sure, yeah, but uh, yeah, but there's going to be a lot of issues that arise out of this. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it's going to be, they're going to have to be malleable with it. But, you know, I've been thinking a lot, Anthony, this virus and this pandemic and the way it's really affected the world, when we come out of it, whenever that might be, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a year, whatever it is, 
when we come out of it, there's our, the world's going to be different. The NBA is going to be different. Sports are going to be different. And I keep wondering the different ways. Well, this is one way it could be Better. very, very different. This could be the start of, of how prospects enter the NBA. And if the NBA can nail that, they're really going to improve their product going forward. Absolutely. Let's take a, a quick second here. When we come back, we are going to talk about the all-time Atlantic Division team, which is pretty effing insane. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the all-time Atlantic Division team, you have, obviously, there's going to be a, a large Bulls presence here, a certain Bull in particular. That, that, You're talking about the Central. You want to, yeah, I thought we were starting with the Central, which is where the yeah, Bulls Yeah, oh, are. did I say yeah. Atlantic? Yeah, you said Atlantic, but that's okay. Okay, well, yeah. I, it's a Freudian slip on my part because I'm, <laughs> I'm like, loathing the moment where I have to compliment <laughs> Celtics. Uh, but the all-time Central team here is just incredible. I just want to dive into it. So so give me where are you at for your starting five for the all-time Central Division team. As you mentioned, this might be the best week division team we have. And just to remind everybody of the rules, we're starting at 1990, and mm-hmm. you have had to have played for this for the team in that division for at least uh, three years. Three years. So some of these – and we did that because you didn't want the one-off, the guy that just was there for one year. We, we wanted this to Kawhi. get a sense for the divisions or whatever. Yeah, the Kawhis. Um but fortunately, that doesn't really matter in this division because there's a lot of icons. So we'll start with Michael Jordan um, okay. and LeBron James. You have two guys that are just no-brainers because, quite <laughs> frankly, they are the first and second, I think, undisputed first and second best players since 1990 in yeah. the NBA. Every yeah. argument you hear for better players goes back 80s, 70s, 60s. But those two guys, to me, are easy. Other than Alex Caruso. Other than yeah. Caruso, who's, you know, yeah. hasn't – the resume's not full yet. We'll have to wait and see. Um I also the the other guy that I thought was a no brainer on this one for me was Ben Wallace, and you could look at from an offensive standpoint this division the one weak spot it has is at center, but defensively Ben Wallace is maybe the only guy who went toe to toe with a prime Shaquille O'Neal and basically handled him. I mean handled him enough to be able to get an, a, a nice series end of his prime career, but nonetheless Ben Wallace. A fantastic defender, four-time defensive player of the year, uh, a fantastic guy. Um, so those three guys to me were easy. Also, there's just not a lot of offensive centers here. But I think Brad Doherty and, and, and Joe Kim Noah are the other two you'd consider. Um, but you get Ben Wallace. I added Giannis Attentacumpo at four. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and look, again, Giannis was on the bubble to start. I mean, that's how crazy the stack this, this lineup is. Um, but just think about this, and then Derek Rose at point, and, and we're going to talk about him in just a second, but Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Giannis, and Ben Wallace. I don't care what lineup you throw. Good luck scoring on that one. That is an all-defensive <laughs> juggernaut right there. Yeah, I uh, I did not include Ben Wallace at all. He didn't really ever dawn on me. I went, I went with Joe Kim Noah, um, and I kind of tweaked my starting lineup. I kind of – bastardize can we, can we first of all bit? can we admit that you were wrong about that we're I talking mean, about a four-time defensive player of the year yeah fine all right <laughs> i like i like noah's ability on offense a little bit more than because he, he was he was still like a decent he was a pretty good offensive player really good passer um i actually went with dennis rodman at my five mm-hmm. um and just kind of play the the you know just switch everybody uh, I went with Derek Rose in my starting lineup. So it was Rose, Jordan, Giannis, LeBron, and Rodman. Um, okay. Which is like this hyper-athletic starting five. Who do you have coming off your bench? 
Um, well, I, first I want to go back to the point guard spot because there's, uh-huh. to me, there, there were three players that are all competing for this. You have Derek yeah. Rose, who, you know, the only one that, that won an MVP. That's why he got the nod. I, I do also think his 2011 season was just probably the best here, but you also have Chauncey Billups, who's a M- NBA finals MVP and had mm-hmm. a, a really great run there. And then Kyrie Irving, um, you, you know, who also had just had an incredible run with the Cavs. I ended up going with Rose. Not I, I think this team, if it were to actually play, Chauncey would be the guy I would want with the rest of that group. Then you're talking about a defensive five that nobody's scoring on. You have a floor general. But Derek Rose, I think, deserved the nod there. So going to my bench, Billups is there. This is a crazy bench here, Anthony. <laughs> Jimmy Butler was my two. Grant Hill was my three. Scottie Pippen is my four. And Dennis Rodman is my five. Rodman and Noah, that was a late change for me. I didn't know which way to go, but I went with Rodman. Um, I, I wouldn't argue, I don't think, either way. But Pippen, Rodman, Grant Hill, Jimmy Butler, Chauncey Billups, I think that's better than the Atlantic starters. <laughs> <laughs> you might be right. Uh, I, did not, I did not put Hill on my, on my team here. Well, that's another um, oversight by you. I mean, that's why was, I'm here, Anthony, to help you out. So you would take off Reggie Miller for Grant Hill? Isn't this crazy? If you go through the list of guys that did not make it, Paul George did not make it. Yeah. Reggie Miller did not make it. Uh, Rashid Wallace and Richard Hamilton did not make it. Mark Price, one of the you know best three point shooters we've seen, did not make it. Wasn't even close. Um, you know, Ron Artest, we forget, was fantastic during that that stretch. Those are some great players that did not even make this list. I mean, those guys make it on almost every single team we've had. So no, Reggie got cut out. Um, and uh and for me grant hill is a no-brainer it's a near triple double average for, for multiple seasons there i have to uh just like the laker fan in me it, since you said that ben wallace kind of shut down Shaq or whatever or, or handled Shaq. Shaq averaged 27 points 11 rebounds on 49 percent shooting from the field the guy who's shut down are Shaq you talking in that about, series? are you talking about the series that they lost in five games well, I'm I'm about to make the point that you know hurts me to make, but it's the objectively true point. The guy who shut down Shaq in that series was Kobe. He well, was awful. <laughs> like <laughs> he shot way too much, didn't give Shaq the ball enough. Uh made, you know, obviously one of the bigger shots like for the Lakers in that series in that in that game 2, I think, when he made the shot that essentially won the game. Uh but yeah, from from a standpoint of like if you're looking Kobe shot 17% from three-point range in that series. Yeah. 17. And shot 23 of those things. <laughs> Four of 23 from, from, from three-point range. Like, he's the guy who, who probably should have won uh, MVP of that series for, for his ability to shut down Shaquille O'Neal. Ben Wallace was a really good player and, and deserved the four-time uh, defensive player of the, uh, of the year that he got. But, but – you know, Shaq was held back by Kobe trying to prove to everybody something that he didn't really need to prove. Hey, man, there was a pivotal game three in that series. Um, Shaq, 14 points. I mean, eight rebounds, one assist. I just, he was I – don't, I, don't, I don't care how we try to rewrite this history. Shaq was dominant. I mean, he was the most dominant mm-hmm. player of that time. So, Andre Godala won finals MVP for holding LeBron to 25, 10, and 10. I mean, sometimes yeah. stopping the most dominant player or holding the most dominant player – to at least being less effective than usual is, is what you need. And look, nobody did that to Shaq in his prime, except for one guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I just wish he was better on offense. That's what I would put him on here if he was like even decent on offense. But he can I never... can we just say though that if we have LeBron James and and Michael <laughs> Jordan, you know he can he can just rebound. That's okay. That's okay. Rod, Rodman was really good with that that Bulls team, and they just needed him to rebound. Yeah, it's it's funny. For a second, I considered just from a team building standpoint putting Brooke Lopez on this team. Uh, just mm. so that he would open up a bunch of space so that Rose and Jordan and Giannis and James could just drive to the basket at will. But but given the player that you had to leave off in order to put yeah. <laughs> Lopez on here, it would have like it, it I would have deserved all of the vitriol I would have received. Not, not to mention, Anthony, if we were talking about building the actual best team, that's a different exercise. Yeah. I mean, we're really trying to award the players that were best and then you know how they fit yeah. hopefully matches at least a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that's it's it's an incredible team. It's an incredible group of talent. <laughs> Top to and, bottom, that's our best one through ten. I don't know if it's the best team, but it has the number one and number two players in their primes. I mean, we're talking about prime yeah. Michael and prime LeBron. So I don't know. Two man. times over for LeBron. Two times, two times over for LeBron. <laughs> Pick your poison. You, you could have two LeBrons on this team. Yeah, this is a crazy. <laughs> the fact that Reggie Miller and Paul George got bounced from this team is just and we're like hardly Paul George hardly really dawned on me as <laughs> as like an option. That's how crazy it was. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's take a quick second here, and when we come back, uh, we're going to get into the Atlantic Division, which. It's a bit of a struggle. I can't lie. It's a bit of a struggle. It's a fun lineup or whatever, but it's, fun. it's getting trounced by any of the teams at the top of these uh, brackets. All right. So the Atlantic Division, like I said, a bit of a struggle. Uh, it gets, it's it, not a struggle. You know what it is, Anthony? I'm looking at it. It's that they peaked. So many of the players in the, in the 80s. No, well, okay, yes, but which we're not counting. But I, I'm just talking about of this era. They peaked in that in-between time, the late 90s, early 2000s. That I mean, you got a lot of guys in there, which I think when we talk about when we rank guys historically, that that era, for whatever reason, what maybe merited, gets depressed the most. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, so my, my lineup, I start with Allen Iverson at point guard, even though he wasn't really a point guard. I went Vince Carter at my wow. shooting guard. Wow, okay. Uh, you know, I, I he's on my so team. I just moved everybody down a little bit here, but I'm he was just so much go. fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just want to see Vince Carter dunk. You know, what's funny uh, is I didn't really, I don't know why I never thought of this before, but you get him twice on here. Cause you get Toronto Vince and you get New Jersey. New Jersey. Vince. So, I mean, which pick I your mean, Vince. Yeah. Uh, either one where were they, yeah. I think Toronto Vince was a little bit more fun while New Jersey Vince yeah. was a better player. Yeah, I agree. Um, Paul Pierce was my small forward. I went Carmelo Anthony as like a version of a power forward. I you hate Charles Barkley, and I can't wait. To, I, you're going to piss off Barkley fans in three different cities. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> I hope I make like TNT. I hope you do. Too. And then knucklehead. I, I don't, though I don't want any part of <laughs> Anthony Irwin for some some stupid show. <laughs> Let me off three damn teams. He's not on this team at all. Wow. Um, <laughs> was he on Philly during the 90s, though? <laughs> yeah. Was well, it actually, the 90s? Actually, that's a great question. Maybe I, I thought that was up. the 80s. I thought early, that was a little what? early. You, you know, I think you might be right. You might have me on this one, Anthony. Let me see. Nope, we're into 90, 90, 90. Yep, we got three, three years of him there. He's Yeah, he got three years, so he does oh. count. Whoops. <laughs> 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 um. 
but like, all right. So you have, I, I guess you could put him instead of Carmelo at the four. Like I'd be, I mean, I think you would, but yeah, I would, I would listen to that. I would, I would say that's fine. Uh, and then I would put Kevin Garnett as my kind of pseudo five. Wow. Over Patrick Ewing and Joel Embiid. I didn't would, think of would, Embiid. <laughs> Embiid should have. Embiid is going to be. I'm going to make a change here as we so go. You're going to put it, You're going to put Embiid over him. Okay. No, I'm not going to put him over him. I thought Gar- Garnett was incredible. Boston Garnett, the one like 2008 yeah. Garnett was just a monster. So yeah. if you want to go like Garnett and Embiid and knock off Carmelo or Barkley, fine. But but yeah, that Garnett has to be in this collection somewhere. Uh, I went and then and then. Can I can I offer up a a hot take? Is this a hot take? Sure. Yeah, all of your takes are hot, but let's do it. Not a Patrick Ewing fan. <laughs> None of this surprises me. You hate all these '90s guys. Well, I like. All right, great. I'm I'm thrilled to get a guy who specialized in a really really inefficient jumper. Yeah, but you have to remember, for most of basketball, the center position is really about like the rebounding and the rim protection. He provided that like very, very, very nicely. But I would, I would rather have Garnett, and I would rather have Embiid, like well, by, pretty easily. I, okay. I think uh, I have Jason Kidd and Rajon Rondo uh, coming off of my bench as my backcourt. Uh, Ray Allen is in there as well. I have Amari Stoudemire. Wow. The one year he started out as like an MVP candidate, his like first year with the Knicks was incredible. And then uh, I have Joel Embiid uh, rounding out that. that not, it's not that he's the 10th worst yeah. player here. It's that he's my center on, the, on, that, on that bottom five. We're very different on our list on this one. And I knew that would be the case because none of these it's guys. It's a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it's not. They're not locks like the two greatest players ever on the, in the Central Division. Um, yeah. I went with Jason Kidd at the one and Iverson at the two. I, Iverson played alongside a point guard for a lot Eric of Snow. yeah, a lot of his career, and even in Denver. Um, so I think um, so that makes sense to me. Kidd one, Iverson two. Vince Carter then became my three. Uh, I had Kevin Garnett number at four, and then Joel Embiid at five. And I actually mm-hmm. like that roster. Now it's funny we're talking about how bad this roster is. That's pretty freaking awesome. Roster. I mean, we're talking <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, right. Um, but yeah, so then on, on the bench. Rondo, no, it was my point guard. I mean, Rondo for the Celtics, like 2008-9-10 Rondo was, I mean, it's yeah. gotten lost to time because I do think the first half of his career was so incredible and the second half he kind of, like the league changed, he kind of changed. Mm-hmm. But but that era of Rondo went toe-to-toe with LeBron and outplayed him and outplayed mm-hmm. him in multiple games. Um, Paul Pierce, number two. Carmelo Anthony, number three. Charles Barkley, four. And Patrick Ewing, five. Ewing and Embiid were close, but... Uh, I, I do think having I, I I do think almost it just makes more sense having those two guys on the bench. So, the guy oh, like that, that hurt the most to leave off of this roster was Chris Bosh. No. Toronto Chris Bosh was pretty good, and I just love me some Chris Bosh. I mean, like, I just Barkley, I'm a huge just, Chris Bosh fan. They're on I'm, whole I'm, other levels to me, though. I mean, um, to me, Ben Simmons is a guy that I think probably a year away. I mean, if you, if, if you ask me mellow or, or Ben Simmons, I, I would rather have the last year's version of Ben Simmons than peak mellow, but mellow still had, I guess, more years. I don't know. That one's a close one. You could talk me easily into Ben Simmons. I think we're going to, we're probably going to look back and kind of underrate Carmelo Anthony. I really do. Like historically, well, you're coming off I, I of watching think... one of his best games of his playoff career last night with me. <laughs> no, but like you're talking about like, he was one of the best college players I have ever seen 
And then he got to the NBA, and yeah, he made a terrible decision in wanting to go to the New York Knicks. And that probably painted the entirety of his career. I don't even but, know if that was a terrible decision. I mean, it, it, it turned out bad because he forced the team to trade all of their best players away. <laughs> I mean, that was well, a bad I don't, decision. I don't think it would have mattered, honestly, because the Knicks are still oh, yeah, the Knicks. Would've. Like, James, well, James okay. Dolan is well, still but James would, Dolan. Yeah, but it would have mattered. I mean, you're right, that, you're, right that, you're right that you can't trust the Knicks to have done right, the right thing. But still, it's always <laughs> better to have things to trade away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean, like they could have built around him better if they didn't trade everybody to get him. Uh, but still, I, I just really think like, if you need somebody in this starting five that I have, Iverson, Carter, Pierce, Anthony, and Garnett, if you need somebody to go out and get a, a shot in that spot, I, Anthony is maybe second to Iverson. Yeah. Right. In terms of like, if I just need a bucket, if I need a clean look, I would hand the ball off to Anthony. And in and, and games like this where you're matching up against all-timers across the board, getting somebody who can get a shot against those all-timers is pretty important. That's why this is fun. That's why I talk about that late 90s, early 2000s. Is it was just, To me, it was the era of isolation. And yeah. uh, you've got Iverson, you've got Vince, you've got Melo, you've got Pierce. So those are some of the faces of that era. So they're great, fantastic players. And I think maybe, to your point, underrated over history but part of why they're underrated is because it was the era of inefficiency (laughs) so we both agree that the central team wipes the floor with the atlantic team this one is not even close some questions are easy anthony this is an easy question (laughs) man we are talking i mean if you just put out that okay that isolation heavy carmelo and paul pierce and iverson well congratulations you're going up against michael jordan lebron james Giannis, and ben wallace guarding you i don't care how good you are you're getting shut down I think Garnett could probably get a shot off on on Ben Wallace. Hey man, Garnett Garnett can lead you in scoring if you want on all phases. He might be. He's probably the best. But that's the thing, though, is that like if Kevin Garnett is your best option on a team that is filled with number one scoring ISO options, you're probably not doing very well. You know, it's just it's just it's an impossible matchup for damn near anybody because like you talk about the Pacific Division. And a lot of the problems that that have given, you know, both the Lakers during the three-peat era and the Warriors during their run, a lot of the things that that ailed their, you know, that really made them sweat, athleticism, length, switchability on defense, like that's, it's, they're in droves on that central yeah. team. I, I I can't wait to get into, you know, the second round when we start to see some of these better divisions play against each other. Because good lord, the they, I mean, I don't even know who you give the. the so right now, I think we have three divisions that that South are clearly e, better Southwest, than the other. Southwest, Southwest, Pacific, and Central. Right. I don't know. I think Southwest is probably third, but between the Central yeah. and Pacific, I don't know. I don't know who's the first one here. I don't. I think we got to put this out on Twitter because all three of those yeah. teams, you get, you know, Southwest owns the size advantage. That's that's their advantage there. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is interesting. Another interesting thing here is this, I think the Bulls are the first team we have had that has had five players make it. Yeah. Derek Rose, Pippen, Jordan, Rodman, and Jimmy Butler on my team. I don't know if we had another team that got half of the division's roster over 30 years. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, who's, I guess Phil Jackson is your coach here for the central team. I mean, yeah, I think that that would probably make sense. Who's your coach for the Atlantic team? Doc Rivers? The Atlantic? Oof. Man. Man, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's probably Doc Rivers. He's the most, Doc Rivers (laughs) is probably the most iconic 
Yeah. <laughs> Doc Rivers <laughs> is probably the most iconic of all those coaches. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a I'm pretty but, iconic coaches. Yeah, but like you would need a great, 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 great coach to lift the Atlantic Division <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to, to compete with some of these, and I don't think Doc Rivers is that guy. You got Larry Brown, too. You have Doc Rivers and Larry Brown, I suppose. Um, you yeah, know. but Larry Brown, I mean, I guess if you're only doing this for a one-year exercise, Larry Brown works. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of that year, everybody's ready to kill him. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown NBA podcast and this week's episodes of the Lockdown NBA podcast. Uh, we got some actual NBA news here today. Uh, there, there was a report out there that there was some increased optimism around the Board of Governors that they might get they, they might be able to salvage the season. That's definitely something to keep uh, an eye on as we as we go through this hiatus together. Uh, but for now, have a great and safe weekend, and we'll talk to you next Friday.